0: What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-ass history this week on the agenda. We're going to be having a bit of a chat about a bloke named John R. Brinkley, and uh, I tell you what, I can't believe I've never heard of this fella. This his story is absolutely wild. This is textbook half-ass history here with this bloke. So a thousand thank yous to uh, alert listener Jacob Diggle who sent in this story uh, as a potential topic. After reading through it, I mean, I tell you what, it, 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 it knocked me about a fair bit. I had to, to have a bit of a lie down, recuperate after the absolute roller coaster uh, that this bloke uh, sort of you know that his life story involved here um, he was a quack doctor right he was a quack doctor who did all the you know usual medicine show snake oil nonsense before deciding out of nowhere right and this is this is sort of what his entire story sort of revolves around this is you know the the gravitational center of his orbit here he decided that transplanting goat testicles into humans was some kind of cure all a panacea that was going to you know cure everything that could ever possibly go wrong with human health it was this was what he legitimately believed and what he did it absolutely beggars belief people believed him they paid out the ass for this bloke to strap you know sets of goats nuts onto them and it doesn't stop there as well it you know it doesn't stop with this ridiculous surgery he was offering to people along with all that he he went on he went on to more or set the scene for commercial radio of all things, making squid into these broadcasts and heavily influencing, um, uh, the development of, of like broadcast and radio regulation here. If you've heard, ever heard of border blaster radio, it's all thanks to Brinkley. This bloke more, well, I don't know if he invented it, but he, he definitely popularized it at least. Um, this bloke, he had a massive following at the height of his career. He was filthy bloody rich as a result. People couldn't get enough of him. Um, I mean, look, let's not waste any more time. Let's get stuck into the story of this bloke, John R. Brinkley, the man who, in case you've already forgotten, in case you've already forgotten, the man who made his fortune by, once again, transplanting goat testicles into humans. Let's get to it. We're going all the way back here to 1885, the 8th of July, when Brinkley was born to a bloke named John Richard Brinkley and a woman named Sarah Candace Burnett in North Carolina in the United States. Now, Burnett, as you might have guessed with a like, last name like that, wasn't Brinkley's wife. She was, in fact, one of his wife's nieces. Now, ordinarily, Brinkley's dad's story would actually be, you know, wild enough maybe to, to warrant an episode of its own. He was a uh, he was a medic in the Confederate Army uh, during the American Civil War, and he was married five times throughout his life. Uh, but his son, as we will see, outstripped him on more or less every single axis uh, in the medical industry when it comes to ridiculous family circumstances, more or less everything here, right? So, anyway, Brinkley Sr., right, he has this affair with Burnett. And young John R is the result. The R stands for Romulus, after the founder of Rome here. But uh, unfortunately, Burnett dies when Brinkley is just five, and his dad doesn't last much longer either, so dying when he was 10. So his dad obviously had this affair with his wife's niece, and uh, then she died, then he died within, you know, sort of, you know, five ten years, whatever else. Uh, but all the same, Brinkley is uh, looked after by his, uh, well, quote unquote, Aunt Sally, his dad's wife, and the aunt of his actual mum. Uh, once his parents are both dead, very, getting very, you know, there's a, a big sort of tapestry, a, a, a noodle like uh, tangle of, of familial relations here. But uh, basically, he's looked after he's <laughs> he's looked after by the woman who his dad cheated on, essentially. Um, and he goes to school, uh, all the rest of it. And uh, by the age of 16, he has a job as a postie. He's carrying mail and, and telegrams around here and there. Um, but this isn't enough for young Brinkley. However. He's got he's got high aspirations. He really wants to become a doctor like his old man. Um, However you know There aren't necessarily The greatest opportunities For him to be able to do that So he continues to work As a a postie And then as a telegrapher uh, Moving to New York City uh, To work for Western Union For a while And then he picks up work With a couple of railroad companies In New Jersey He's doing all sorts of stuff But in 1906 Right 1906 however He has to head back to North Carolina after he's found out that his uh, again quote unquote aunt Sally was unwell so unwell in fact that she actually died before the end of the year so this poor bloke he's only he's still only young and he, you know he's lost his, he's lost his mum he's lost his dad and now he's lost his primary caregiver as well so a bit of a rough a uh, bit of a rough run there for old mate Brinkley you'd have to say uh, but it's a bit of a silver lining because he does uh, reunite with an old childhood friend at this point while he's, uh, he's there bearing uh, Aunt Sally uh, and her name is uh, also Sally confusingly Sally Wyke right now. They actually end up getting married on the 27th of January, 1907, about a, a month after Aunt Sally died. So he's now a married man, even though he's lost all of his uh, his parents, and whatever else like that, he's now married. Um, and in the long term, I have to say their marriage was uh, not a particularly happy one, uh, even if it was a rather uh, eventful one. Uh, but to begin with, having a great time, having a great time. Now, I already said that Brinkley had you know an aspiration to be a doctor and uh, rather than actually you know go to medical school or university and actually learn how to do it. Oh, I mean, boring. Come on, who's got time for that? He and his wife now start to cut about pretending to be Quaker doctors uh, trying to sell, sell snake oil to, to people around them. So they're just, they're just charlatans, just frauds, right? Uh, and they've got their own little medicine show that they're, they're going around and, again, trying to sell these false cures, false remedies to people. So medicine shows, big deal back then. You've probably seen them in, you know, Wild West stuff, but they were popular all throughout the United States, elsewhere as well. Um, it really was a show. Like medicine, it actually was a show. It had all, you know, kind of like a little circus. had all sorts of stuff, performances, music, acrobats, uh, magicians, dancers, you know, a bit, bit, bit of everything. And, and there'd still be this, you know, this huckster standing at the front there trying to sell you this, uh, you know, this uh, supposedly miracle cure for for whatever ails you. Yeah. Anyway. John and Sally Brinkley, they head out uh, on this medicine show. They head out uh, west as far as Tennessee, where Brinkley actually starts to work with uh, another bloke, uh, another quack here named Dr. Burke. I don't know if the doctor part was self-appellated or not, but in any case, that's what he went by, Dr. Burke. And they sold virility tonics which is a very very popular a very successful uh, uh, branch of the medical industry especially for uh, you know for fraudsters for these uh, these char- charlatan doctors there uh, anything that anything that uh, you know had anything to do with uh, with with your tackle generally would uh, would get blokes lining up uh, out the door to uh, you know to to put their money down so anyway before 1907 was out Brinkley and his wife, right, they settle down in Chicago uh, to start a family. Uh, He's obviously been (laughs) getting high on his own supply there with the Virility Tonics, and he's wanting to start a family. And on the 5th of of November in 1907, they have a daughter together. Now, Brinkley obviously still wants to be a doctor, and actually wants to be a real, quote-unquote, real doctor here – so he enrols in a medical school. I mean, it's technically that, but it is a bit of a dodgy one. Uh, it, it wasn't accredited, and it mainly focused on sort of, you know, hocus-pocus rubbish on what was called eclectic medicine at the time. So, you know, potions and, and you know, the, stuff that, the sort of stuff that if women had been doing it a couple of, you know, 100 years earlier, they'd be called witches, I reckon. Anyway. Very expensive place to go to. Very expensive place to go to. And Brinkley is actually forced to work nights as a telegrapher for Western Union once again in order to make ends meet. Now, Sally Brinkley, his wife, not making it easy either. She's going out and spending money like it grows on trees, and of course, young young kid to feed and all that sort of stuff. There, like that. So, uh, money. The money situation is not great for the Brinkleys. And there's more bad news. More bad news. And very tragically, more bad news when they have to bury bury their next child. Uh, the next kid actually dies three days after being born. Very very sad indeed. Um, And, uh, you know, with the financial situation getting worse and worse, with the atmosphere at home getting worse and worse, Brinkley actually has to pick up more work to pay the bills and it all ends up being way too much for their marriage. Two years after moving to Chicago, Sally Brinkley decides that she's had enough. She packs everything up one day while he's off at work, disappears with their daughter and files for divorce and, and, you know, and for child support as well. Now, Brinkley's response to this wasn't, um, uh, wasn't particularly reasonable, I think as a diplomatic way to put it. It wasn't, a particular, you know, it wasn't a particularly rational response here. After two months of you know, fiddly farting around with child support and, and you know, trying to contest or whatever else like that, he tracked them down, found out where they were, kidnapped his daughter and fled to Canada. As you do, I mean that's one way to resolve a marital dispute, I guess, a divorce, a divorce proceedings. Just run away to Canada. Now, Canada, for whatever reason, wouldn't extradite Brinkley, despite you know these legal proceedings here, and uh, this meant that Sally ultimately had to drop her child support suit there and actually you know give up on uh, on this legal process that was underway. And the moment she does this, Brinkley comes back to Chicago, and somehow, look, I don't, I wasn't able to actually find out exactly how this happened, but somehow, apparently, once he was back in Illinois, once he's back in Chicago, he and Sally patch it up. I don't know how they do this. I mean, he's kidnapped the daughter. He's run away to, uh, you know, to, to Canada. He's, 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 I mean, the whole thing seemed like a bit of a mess, but they seem to patch it up, somehow. I don't know how they do it, but they do. He goes back to school and for a while, things are all fine. But again, only for a while because history repeats itself in 1911 when Sally once again walks out on him. She's pregnant, doesn't reckon he can look after her and their kids. And so he goes, uh, she goes back home to North Carolina now, ultimately, this causes Brinkley to follow suit. He actually uh, gives up his studies. Uh, he leaves a bunch of unpaid tuition bills back in uh, in Chicago and moves back to uh, North Carolina to try to win her back, where he sets up shop, or tries to set up shop, I should say, as an undergraduate physician. Luckily, however, I would say, for for potential patients anyway, uh, this doesn't stick. Uh, he, he isn't able to sort of get things going uh, on the medical front, uh, although he does manage to reunite with Sally once again, fool me once, fool me twice, I suppose, anyway, in 19- I don't know who's fooling whom at this stage as well, to be honest. Anyway, in 1912, he again tries to finish his studies as a doctor, but there's a problem now because the place in Chicago, right, they refuse to uh, – They obviously, they're refusing to – he owes them thousands in unpaid tuition fees. So not only are they refusing to take him on as a student again, um, they won't release his transcripts and his records so he can take him to another school and say, oh, you know, this is the work I've already done. Uh, so what does he do instead? Well… <laughs> I mean, he does whatever, you know, he proves that money really can solve all of your problems. He just buys a degree. He buys a degree from a diploma mill in Kansas City, the Kansas City Eclectic Medicine University. Now, I mean, okay, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put the Kansas City Eclectic Medicine University on blast here. I don't want to throw too much shade at them. But if I walked into a doctor's office and that was what they had on the certificate on the wall, I would have one or two questions. Actually, no, I would have one question. I would have exactly one question. And that question would be, is this the way out? This door here. Is this how I get out of this doctor's office? That's what. That's what my question would be. But anyway, Brinkley's got his degree. He's got his. Uh, he's got his proud. You know, he's, he's a proud, <laughs> a proud graduate of the Kansas City Eclectic Medicine University. Um, and armed with this new degree, he goes back to North Carolina, ready to show off his, you know, his proud accomplishment to his loving wife, who has just had another daughter at this stage. They've got three little kids now, and she is to, uh, to put it rather mildly. Uh, not particularly a bloody impressed mate. Uh, demands that he gives up his dream of becoming a doctor. He refuses. One thing leads to another. And before you know it... Brinkley is watching the uh, by now very familiar scene of Sally Brinkley's back walking out the door suitcase in tow off she goes and that is that for their marriage no worries though Brinkley he turns his full attention now to becoming a medical prof no okay nope gonna stop myself there not professional not nothing even close to professional to be honest he 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 really starts to get in to the charlatanism and the quackery you know f- wholeheartedly at this point he's going into business he goes into business uh, in South Carolina with a bloke named James E Crawford. Now, these two, they set up a a clinic called the Greenville Electromedic Doctors, which sounds like a late noughties pop band, to be honest. But as part of this clinic, right, they advertise to men who are, again, worried worried about their um, uh, masculine energies, shall we say. And they start to charge these poor suckers $25 for an injection of coloured water calling it Electric Medicine from Germany. Now, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor, mate, but I've played Pokemon. I've played Breath of the Wild. And these things, they have taught me that electricity and water do not mix. So I don't know how these blokes were conned, to be honest. They're coming in here, they're getting these shots of this so-called electric medicine from Germany, and they're paying 25 bucks for it, which is just under 650 US dollars these days. I mean, this is not cheap stuff, right? And and obviously, they're making money hand over fist. These two quote-unquote doctors are absolutely cleaning up from these poor, you know, these poor idiots coming in and, and paying to have coloured water shot up their arms. Now, they both end up skipping town as a result. After making an absolute pile for themselves, they uh, they they leave, they skip town, they skip Greenville, and they leave behind unpaid rent, unpaid utility bills, and outstanding lines of credit with, according to the newspaper at the time, thirty to forty shopkeepers. So they're just not paying their bills to anyone anywhere, and they get away with it. They run away, well, for the time being anyway. They run away, they flee, scoot off to uh, to Memphis, right? And it's there that Brinkley meets uh, the woman who would become his second wife, Minerva Jones, the uh, the daughter of a well-off Memphis doctor. Now, they get married just four days after meeting each other. Talk about bloody rushing into it. And uh, But it does get off to a bit of a bumpy start. Not the ideal sort of uh, fantasy fairy tale uh, marriage to begin with. Because what happens is this. Brinkley is arrested on their honeymoon. While they're off honeymooning, wherever they go, he's dragged back he's, he's taken by the South Carolina police he's dragged back to South Carolina where he's jailed for practicing medicine without a license and also all the other stuff about you know not paying his bloody bills mate obviously that's going to come up as well but you know what he does to get out of it he goes right ahead and he sings like a canary he grasses up his mate Crawford saying oh no it was all his fault it was all his idea I was just going along with the colored water oh I thought it was electric medicine from Germany I had no idea um, you know, and, and he blames the whole thing on Crawford. He says it was all Crawford's fault. You know, oh, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, the, the whole shebang. He just he pins it all on the on his colleague on his colleague there. Now, the, he gives him enough information on Crawford that Crawford gets bagged as well, brought back to South Carolina as well, and he again just throws money at the problem until it goes away. He pays everyone off, all the merchants, the landlords, everyone else. Crawford buys his way out of the whole thing. Now, happily for Brinkley, I mean, who? That's pretty ordinary behaviour, throwing your mate under the bus like that. But he, he's now got away with it, scot free. You know, the, the fact that his his colleague has now just come and paid all the bills for him, he, he's just sort of, you know, he gets to. It's it's just his get out of jail free card there, bought and paid for by by Crawford. Now, his new father in law does, you know, chip in for the bail and, and a couple of other things as well. But that is that, and uh, and he does, Brinkley does manage to uh, to escape this situation, you know, pretty much unscathed. However, the scathing begins when he returns to Memphis, because who is waiting there to confront him and bring him out of this, you know, this marital, this newfound marital bliss that he has? Yes, indeed, it is his first wife, Sally, who, remember, he actually never properly divorced. Now, rather than have the world find out that he was a bigamist, however, you know, he was a follower of of the doctrine of bigamism, um, Brinkley He quietly filed for divorce. He didn't want to make a big scene out of it. Sally's come around. She said, you know, she said to his new wife, "Oh, you know, I'm technically still married. You're married to a bigamist here. You know, watch what you was careful how you go there." So rather than again, you know, letting this being put up, you know, being sort of shouted from the rooftops here, Brinkley quietly files for divorce. He tells a couple of little porky pies on in the paperwork, and amazingly, he gets away with it. After having you know illegally married another woman, he does get away with it. It did mean that he and Minerva had to have a second ceremony, but no worries, rich father-in-law, easy game. Now. Between 1914 and 1917... Brinkley and his new wife, they live in Kansas City, where Brinkley worked and actually saved enough to pay the university in Chicago all the unpaid tuition fees, which meant that he was not only able to finish the degree that he'd started, but now actually had a legitimate uh, medical medicine license, medical license, and meant that in eight different states, he was actually now qualified to practice medicine, you know, for for better or for worse. Well, no, not for better or for worse. Definitely for worse. Definitely, definitely for worse, as as we're going to discover very shortly here, because he got a job as a doctor. a food processing factory. And it was here that something that would hugely influence Brinkley took place. Now, I started off this story about big talk, you know, big, big talk about goat testicles. And so far, you know, look, I'll, I'll, I'll admit we've been pretty bereft of both goat chat and testicle chat, but that's about to change. That's about to change right now, because while he's working at this food processing plant, Brinkley found out that everyone that worked there happened to consider that the goat was the healthiest and fittest of all the animals that were slaughtered in this in this plant now i don't know why that of all things went on to be the basis of his medical theorizing for the rest of his career but brinkley for some reason really did take this information to heart the fact that he that that apparently everyone thought these goats were tough and hardy and and, and very healthy indeed and we'll, we'll talk about this in, in due course. But in 1917, he was part of the Army Reserve. He was called up to serve as part of the First World War, wasn't cut out for the soldiering life, sent home after a nervous breakdown just two months after being called up. And after this, after this, after coming home, or after, you know, the, the, the Great War finished here, Brinkley moved to Milford in Kansas. And it is here that the insanity and the goat testicles really start to kick in properly. So in his new home of Milford, new hometown Milford here, Brinkley opens up a, a large medical clinic and people bloody loved him for it. Not only was he paying his staff very high wages, he also went around treating people who were infected with the flu. It was 1918, the Spanish flu was roaring throughout the world, and, and he was, uh, you know, one of the people who was helping uh, the locals in Milford uh, sort of deal with it. Interestingly, by the way, I found out that uh, the reason that it's known as the Spanish flu, uh, it, it, it actually not because it has anything particularly to do with Spain. It's because of the wartime censorship that took place when the when the flu was uh, was kicking about. The ravages of the virus were, were downplayed in the UK, in France, Germany, the US, and other nations. In involved in the first world war while in neutral spain everyone was getting sort of reasonably accurate reports of just how about how bad it was right this made everyone think that spain was harder hit than everywhere else and so the name stuck even though it killed between 50 and 100 million people worldwide i mean sorry 50 million that is not just 50 and then 100 million that'd be a pretty wild range of estimates but yeah that's why it was called the spanish flu anyway have to be honest here and say that, you know, despite Brinkley being a massive quack and a huge medical fraud, he actually did a a pretty good job, a a reasonable job of looking after people infected with the Spanish flu. He helped a huge number of people recover and uh, and seemed to really go the extra mile to look after people, although maybe this was just, you know, him doing the groundwork so people would see him as an expert later once all the goat business began, if you want to be really cynical about it. Anyway, uh, it, it didn't take long for the goat business to begin either after this, because the story, according to Brinkley himself, right? After Shortly after it settled in Milford, shortly after this whole Spanish flu thing was over, this bloke, right, he come into, he, he come into uh, to Brinkley's clinic and he says, um, well, sorry, he's, compl- he's, got a, he's got a medical complaint. He's, cl- he's complaining again of a, a lack of um, masculine energies, as we termed it before. So basically, this bloke is, uh, is suffering from a bad, a bad case of dreaded flops here and he doesn't know what to do about it. Now, Brinkley, apparently joking, he said to his patient that uh, he wouldn't have an issue if he had a pair of those buck glands in you, by which he meant the goat testicles, basically. And according to Brinkley, this fella says, Doc, do what you got to do. Staple some bloody goat's balls onto me if you think it's going to help. Please, mate, please. He hands over $150, over two and a half grand in today's US dollars, and begs Brinkley to strap a new pair onto him. Now, According that's according to Brinkley. According to this this bloke's son, it was the other way around. Brinkley actually paid and begged the patient to go through with it. But anyway, you slice it, old mate Barry Big Balls. He proud he proudly strides or waddles, I guess. He, he proudly waddles out of the clinic, a brand new set of nuts clapping away between his legs. And the first transplant of goat testicles onto a human was. I don't want to say it was a roaring success, but it didn't kill the bloke outright, I guess. And you know, you got to chalk up your victories where you can find them. I don't know how or why people fell for this, but fall for it they did. There were blokes lining up to have Brinkley swap out their nuts for a set of goats' go- of goat gonads here, seven hundred and fifty dollars ago, which is ten thousand United States dollars today. And it wasn't just men either who were paying hand over fist for these, uh, the, you know, for this 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 operation here. Women also went under the knife, getting goat ovaries stitched into them. What the bloody hell is going on there? I mean, look, men, I understand. We are idiots. We'll fall for anything, especially when our tackle is concerned. You know, you you say, oh, it's going to do this, going to do that. Swedish-made penis enlargement pump. Absolutely, sign me up. But these poor women, they're also being conned by Brinkley and having goat ovaries strapped into them. I mean, what? Okay, best case scenario for these poor people, best case scenario is that these operations were harmless. The patient's body would absorb the goat bits and, and, and that would be that no harm done. But just to be clear, you know, Brinkley wasn't like, he wasn't connecting up the little tubes or whatever else, nothing like that. He would just open up your old bag there, tip it out, empty it of its contents and then slip in the replacement, stitch it back up just like that and that was supposed to be it. So the worst case scenario was so much worse. Not to mention that Brinkley was often on the source while he worked and you know didn't bother to keep his surgery all that clean. There were infections. Many patients died as a result of the operations, but Brinkley kept getting away with it and one of the reasons for this one of the reasons the 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 procedure was so popular was that something that happened shortly after he started doing this surgery right the wife of one of his patients so he's just strapped a pair of goat balls onto this bloke he's gone home right and his wife his his wife is now pregnant and then gave birth to a healthy child. Now, I hear you ask, sweet, innocent listener, how could this possibly happen? Surely, old mate Goat Gonads isn't, you know, going to be able to conceive after after what, what's happened to him. Now, look, this is all rampant conjecture on my part, but I reckon that old uh, Mrs. Goat Gonads there uh, perhaps didn't want to admit to uh, a bit of a uh extracurricular activity on the side there and as a result brinkley gets this marketing free roll that puts him in the newspapers everywhere this woman won't admit to having an having had an affair she said oh no it was the goat the goat nuts that uh, that got me pregnant there pregnant there the, the, the miracle goat baby strong and healthy and all of a sudden brinkley you know pictures of him in the paper holding this kid being like oh you know big thumbs up big cheesy grin saying you too could have a, a healthy goat baby as well like this and uh, i don't know i don't know why people were thinking this was what they needed or what they wanted but Brinkley is overwhelmed with a deluge of popularity, and and decides that virility and sexual health now aren't the only thing that are the only things that a set of goat nuts will do for you. He starts advertising aggressively and telling everyone how he can cure everything from dementia to flatulence of all things. I mean, flat—what are you doing? Sticking one up there like a bloody sock? Block things up? Maybe that's the cure. I don't know. Anyway, in any case. He is flat out. He is absolutely flat out. His business is going gangbusters, and people cannot get enough of Brinkley and his supposed wonder cure here. Now, sometimes I think about this. Like you know, we used to eat off lead plates. We used to muck about with mercury. We used to fill our houses with asbestos. So clearly, we've done some pretty dumb stuff throughout history. But goat testicles, really, and within the last hundred years, it makes you wonder. I mean, what are we falling for these days? What what you know? What's going on today that we think? Oh, that sounds oh, sounds like a very good idea. And then in two hundred years, people are going to go. Oh yeah. I mean, goat testicles was just where it started. That was just just the the t- Who the iceberg? Should have heard about what they're doing in 2019. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Anyway, as I say, Brinkley's having a great time. His success means that he starts to take the show on the road now. He's got enough money, got enough of a following, got enough of, you know, enough momentum here that he starts expanding. Um, He does a series of demonstration operations for the press in different states. He heads back up to Chicago, putting testicles... Goat testicles, just to be very clear, just in case we've forgotten again, goat goat testicles into no fewer than thirty-four patients. While reporters looked on, these were exhibition exhibition matches. Here, they weren't. Oh, sorry, just to be clear as well, these weren't thirty-four just idiots off the street either. One of them was the chancellor of the Chicago Law School. One of them was an alderman. There were all sorts of people lining up again to have this surgery. Now. Obviously, this gained him a lot of uh, a lot of attention. Obviously, this gained him a lot of uh, you know a lot, a lot of new eyeballs looking at what he was doing. But unfortunately for him, not all of the attention that he gained was positive for him. Now, as a result of his popularity, the the American Medical Association has now started taking interest in what he was doing because he's he's going around saying that a pair of goat balls will cure you know cure everything you can think of from emphysema to malignant tumours. And so they start to send people in undercover to investigate him. But at this point, Brinkley, too big to fail. Investigations or no. And even though people are, you know, starting to, you know, look with a little bit more scrutiny as what he's doing, he's already moving on to his next big publicity stunt, which takes place now in 1922. He heads over to Los Angeles where the owner of the LA Times, Harry Chandler, has challenged him to perform the operation on, and this is the best part, one of his editors, imagine that staff meeting. You know, the boss walks in, mate, 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 I need that. Um, I need the story on that thing finished. Uh, you need to chase up that payroll issue, please. And uh, there's this bloke flying out to uh, to whack a pair of goat nuts onto you. And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa what was that, boss? Uh, no, no, payroll. Remember, there was that problem last month. We need sort of just, just get it done. No, 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 yeah, that's, that's not the issue. I was talking more about the... The goat nuts bit? Oh, yeah, just like named Brinkley. He's very good. Got him in for Tuesday. That's all right, isn't it? Excellent. All right. Listen, I've got to go. I'll talk to you later. Remember the payroll thing. Please get that done. Okay, talk to you later. Chandler has turned it into a bet, right? He, he, he says that if Brinkley does the operation successfully, he will make him the most famous surgeon in America. Whereas if he fails, he'll use his paper to ruin his career. So this is, you know, turning into quite a spectacle here, but there's a problem. The problem is that California, quite rightly, in my view, doesn't recognise Brinkley's medical qualifications. Once again, however, money solves the problem. Chandler pulls strings, pays off the right people, and uh, and gets Brinkley a temporary 30-day medical licence. Now, Brinkley rises to the challenge, and this poor editor gets his new tackle, and that is that, all of a sudden, Brinkley is being trumpeted from the rooftops by the Times, and now, all of a sudden... These Hollywood film stars are wanting the Brinkley special. He's the talk of the town, and all the you know the glitterati from the, from the Beverly Hills are wanting uh, are wanting this uh, this brand new treatment from uh, from the Midwest. Business is so good for him out in L.A. that he starts to make plans to actually move there permanently. He's making cash hand over fist. Film stars, whoever else, falling over to get. Again, let's just remind ourselves falling over each other to get a pair of goat testicles surgically implanted into their actual real human earth bodies. But it's not to be. As the Californian medical authorities, they refuse to grant him a proper license. The AMA has been doing its work. And there's one investigator, a bloke named Morris Morris Fishbein, who has uh, reported to the California Medical Board as to exactly why this bloke shouldn't be accredited. And uh, as a result, he isn't able to, uh, you know, to start working California properly once that temporary license uh, wears off. So. Despite this, despite this sort of setback, the trip to LA obviously wasn't a total waste—not even close to a total waste—considering uh, the publicity that it brought in, But it also, it also opened up another door for here. It also ex- for for Brinkley here. It also exposed him to something else that would go on to become critically important to his life and influence. I mean, the shape of the entire industry as as, as it was, you know, in a, in its sort of nascent, its its developmental stages here. While hanging out in LA, he was taken to one of Chandler's radio stations and given a bit of a tour. Now, Brinkley immediately fell in love with radio. He realised how powerful it was, uh, or, or it could be at least, as an advertising platform, and he decided then and there that he was going to establish his own radio station back in Kansas. Now, interestingly, at this time, in the 20s, advertising on radio was heavily frowned upon. It wasn't illegal necessarily, but it definitely wasn't the done thing. Now, obviously, Brinkley didn't care about this, and once he got back home, he got himself a one kilowatt transmitter and established the radio station KFKB. By the way, uh, I mean, anyone who isn't American like me uh, has probably noticed that most America, you know, whenever you hear about radio stations in TV shows or, you know, movies or whatever else like that, you'll notice that American radio shows always start with the letter K or the letter W. And uh, if you've ever wondered why American radio stations all have names that start with these two letters, it's because in 1912, there was an international conference on radio. And it, it, during this conference, it assigned the US four letters uh, for their radio uh, signal broadcast, the names of them, right? Now, N and A were given to the military, while K and W were given over to regular broadcasters. And, and these were divided up very simply by the geographic location of of the radio station, if you're a radio station that is based east of the Mississippi, your thing, your call sign starts with a W. Whereas if you're based uh, on the west side of the Mississippi, uh, it starts with a K. Uh, and the rule is held broadly. There are a couple a, cu- a couple of exceptions here and there, but uh, broadly speaking, the rule is held even to today. But my favourite thing about this story is that I like even even back in 1912, uh, the US government was given the letters W A N K. I really like that. That's perfect. Anyway. KFKB, it's off and away, and Brinkley, unsurprisingly, he uses it to advertise his goat testicle surgery like there's no tomorrow. There are, there are other features, there's music stories, foreign language lessons, there's nonsense like astrological reads, uh, readings, all sorts of stuff like that. But for the most part, it's Brinkley yelling at you about getting a pair of goat, goat nuts strapped here. Simple as that. That's, all, that's, his, that's, that's the key platform, the key message of KFKB. Patients continue to pour in, along with their cash, and the town of Milford is benefiting as a result. Now, Brinkley, he's a local hero because of all the people and all the money that he's bringing to the town, not to mention his contributions to public work projects. Now, you know, we've we've obviously slated this guy as a a bit of a, you know, a bit of a rubbish bloke, but he did provide some, you know, real and tangible benefit to people's lives as well as all the awful things that he did. Um, He uh, chucked money at stuff like footpaths, electrification, sewage, housing, post offices. You know, despite being an absolute charlatan, and absolute fraud, he did he did some good in the world, at least for, for Milford in Kansas there. However, the threads are starting to come a bit unraveled for him here because Fishbein, the guy who had grassed him up in California, had continued to investigate him, discovering all the disastrous cases of infection and injury and even death that his operations were causing. And on top of that, The Diploma Mill, the Kansas City Eclectic Medicine University, um, uh, where Brinkley got his degree, uh, it, it, along with a a bunch of other uh, places like it, it had come under fire for, well, basically selling worthless degrees to rich people. And in mid-1924, after a, a series of exposés that were done on these uh, on these diploma mills here, a Californian grand jury uh, tried to indict a bunch of people who had practiced without profit medical license, who had, you know, fraudulent medical degrees. And guess who was amongst the people they tried to indict? Now... Brinkley actually avoided prosecution, however, um, because the state of Kansas refused to extradite him to California uh, to face uh, you know this legal procedure. Why? Because, again, money. He made Kansas way, way, way too much money by bringing in patients who all wanted goat testicles instead of the real human ones they grew themselves. And they didn't want the cash to dry up. They didn't want this absolute cash cow, this cash goat of a doctor, right, again, quote unquote doctor, um, you know, to, to face the long arm of the law in uh, in California there. So everyone obviously heard about this victory on KFKB. He was crowing he was crowing from the rooftops about uh, how he got away with, uh, you know, not having to face the, the the Californian grand jury there. I'm John Brinkley. Can't stop, won't stop. No breaks on the goat ball train. KFKB, best radio station. Come and get a pair of goat nuts strapped to you right now, right here. Milford, Kansas, best city. Now, deciding he wasn't making enough money yet, right? He wasn't making enough money. He, that, that was the decision he made. I could be making more money, he says to himself. Brinkley stepped up the radio game even further. He now started to branch out. He started to diversify right? his, his, his crimes into some light racketeering. He started a segment on his radio station called Medical Question Box, where he would uh, read out stuff that his listeners sent in, asking for medical advice, and then he would suggest treatment. Now, these treatments were obviously just snake oil, didn't need to tell you that, just garbage fake medicine that did nothing, or worse, was actively harmful. But, of course. These treatments were only available at certain pharmacies, pharmacies that were members of the Brinkley Pharmaceutical Association. Now, people listened to the radio, heard the the suggested cures for these, you know, for these ailments that had been sent in, and they went to these pharmacies in droves and bought more snake oil than you would believe it possible to buy. The pharmacies then sent a cut back to Brinkley, who was, through this whole racket, making $14,000 $14,000 a week for himself. That is over 400000 US dollars today. This guy was making silly money, stupid money. He was making unbelievable Scrooge McDuck piles of money. But, unfortunately for our Icarus here, this is the point at which he flew too close to the sun. These poor people who went and wasted their money on these fake medicines from the Brinkley Pharmaceutical Association, it didn't take too long for them to go to real doctors because obviously they were either not getting better or, in the worst case, being actively made unhealthier by the stuff that they were taking. Before long, right, there were too many people lining up at real doctors complaining of what had happened with Brinkley here uh, for, for people to ignore. The AMA, the press, competing pharma- pharmaceutical companies, all of these forces now focusing on Brinkley, realising what he's up to. And this, all of this stuff combined, it meant that the tide had actually started to turn against Brinkley here. after far, far longer than you'd think it should have taken, the hammer finally fell. In 1930, the Kansas Medical Board revoked Brinkley's medical license. There are at least 42 examples, 42 examples of Brinkley signing the death certificates of his own patients, many of whom weren't even unwell when they first sought treatment. And that's not including all the other deaths, the infections and the injuries that he caused. Half a year later, it goes from bad to worse for Brinkley. Not only is he not legally allowed to strap goat testicles to people he's one true love now, KFKB's radio license wasn't renewed. The Federal Radio Commission asserted that most of the broadcast was just ads, which is in contravention contravention of international treaties. And that is on top of the medical question box racket, which of course was uh, highly problematic as well. So Brinkley... He's a man that's going to go down swinging. He takes him to court and famously he lost the Brinkley versus the FRC case. It became a landmark case and it actually went on to influence the laws surrounding broadcasting for a long time to come. And it basically was the end of this whole situation that Brinkley had set up in Kansas. So he's down. But is he out? Of course course not. Brinkley isn't even close to finished here. He's still drowning in money. So what does he do? What I mean, we, what, what should anyone do when they're sick of the authorities and the laws and that sort of stuff doesn't suit them? What they do? In 1930, he runs for the governor of Kansas. And I'll tell you this, he comes within a bee's dick of actually making it. Now, becoming governor, that would mean that he could appoint whoever he wanted to the, uh, the Kansas Medical Board. And by doing that, he could get his license back right so that was his final aim here and before he lost his uh, his broadcasting license he used KFKB to uh, to advertise his campaign most aggressively amongst all you know the boring stuff in his policy platform one of the promises he made he was shouting all this stuff on the, ra- on the radio obviously one of the promises he made uh, was to <laughs> was that each county in Kansas would have a state lake built in it he was going to dig up and build a state lake in every county, uh, can- And there was a bunch of other stuff as well, some of it which was actually you know, fairly well-grounded. But once again, once again, it was all show and no substance with Brinkley, who he ran you know, this fast-paced, this highly publicised last-minute campaign. He did ridiculous stuff, like uh, when a major Kansas newspaper wrote a scathing report on his campaign, uh, by way of response, he sent them a goat. Uh, So, you know, all this sort of stuff designed to to draw eyes onto him. He was very good with that sort of stuff, obviously. And the campaign went extremely well, extremely well for him, it did. Um, And there was every chance that he was going to win. But just as he'd gotten so many people throughout his career as a charlatan, you know, he's gotten all these people uh, over the years, he himself, he got gotten just before the election. Because he'd announced his candidacy so late in the process, he'd actually missed the printing of the ballots and therefore was a write in candidate. So, people, voters actually had to write his name on the ballot if they wanted to vote for him. Now, just days before the election, three days before the election is to take place, the Kansan Attorney General, one of the people who had actually prosecuted Brinkley with the Kansas Medical Board, he announced that there had been a change to the rules for write in candidates. And now that Brinkley's name would have to be written exactly. J.R. Brinkley for it to count on the ballot. So, Election Day comes along, Brinkley receives almost 30% of the vote, about 29.5% of the vote as a writing candidate, a ridiculous amount, but the thing was, tens of thousands of votes, between 30,000 and 50,000 votes, weren't counted because his name wasn't written exactly J.R. Brinkley, and the bloke who won, Harry Hines Wooding, went on to admit that Brinkley probably would have won the election if the rule hadn't changed. So Kansas dodged a bit of a bullet by there, you'd think, thanks to this, you know, sneaky rules change. But that wasn't it for Brinkley. He tried again in 1932. However, this time he doesn't have a radio station, so he has to take a different tack. He sells KFKB. He installs some underlings as the people in charge of his clinic there in Milford, and he moves south. He's moved south to a Texan town called Del Rio, right there on the US-Mexico border. Now, obviously, he doesn't have a broadcast license, so Brinkley can't set up a radio station in the US, but... There was nothing stopping him setting one up in Mexico. This was already a sore point for Mexico, who had had to sit and watch from the sidelines as the US and Canada had sort of carved up different radio frequencies for North America. Mexico itself hadn't been assigned any. So the Mexican government, more than happy to do some political point scoring here, grant Brinkley a broadcast licence after hearing his plans, and so he sets up a... 50 kilowatt transmitter, 50 times more powerful than the one that he had in Kansas, just there on the other side of the Rio Grande, right? This station was called XER and it was one of the first, if not the first, border blaster station. Now, border blasters, they became increasingly common in the coming decades, particularly during the Cold War, where things like Radio Free Europe would broadcast all the way into the Eastern Bloc, into the Soviet-controlled countries. There would be a Western broadcast that people could listen to illegally, you know, in their homes that, in there in the Eastern Bloc. And, uh, and 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 it was all started, all pioneered here by this, bloke, by this bloke, Brinkley. XER, off and away, despite the US government, along with the AMA and Fishbine desperately trying to find a way to stop him. In October 1931, two massive 90-metre radio towers, Uh, broadcast XER, the sunshine station between the nations, as he called it, uh, started blasting out across the United States, safely located across the border. Now, Brinkley used XER to campaign for the next... uh, I don't know how to say this. Is it gubernatorial election? I don't know why it's not gubernatorial, but they call it, they, they spell it with a G in the United, with a B in the. Obviously, they spell it with a G. There's not too many other ways to spell it, but they spell it with a B in the United States. Is it gubernatorial? I don't know what it is. In any case, the election for governor in 1932, Brinkley uses uh, XER to uh, to camp. You know, for for his own campaign for this election, his signal was so powerful, it could be heard in Kansas all the way from the border there, right? All the way from from south of the the US-Mexico border, it could be heard all the way up in Kansas there. And it only got more powerful, too, because in 1932, the Mexican government gave Brinkley permission to double the wattage of his transmitter. He had a 1,000 kilowatt transmitter blasting this, uh, uh, this signal throughout the United States. It made it so powerful, in fact, that actually it could be heard in Canada, given the right conditions. And would even sometimes be heard when people were on the phone or it would buzz out of metal fences on farms throughout the United States. The, the signal was that strong. Now, despite this, you know, despite the uh, the million watt transmitter he had, it wasn't enough to win him the 1932 election. While he did get 30% of the vote, uh, it didn't get him across the line and uh, he actually gave up on politics after this. So, you know, he did his best, but it uh, wasn't enough to uh, to win him the the gubernatorial election. I don't know. In any case, he wasn't the governor of Kansas, but he did have his new uh, brand new radio station. And so instead he went back to his core competency of, let's remind ourselves once again, implanting goat testicles into people. He sold more and more snake oil, more and more false cures, performing operations at his hotel there in Del Rio. And he started raking in more and more cash now by selling advertising slots on his station with no oversight as to what was being advertised. People could just come in and, and spout whatever nonsense they want. This led, right? to ads for things like genuine simulated diamonds and, my favourite one, this is not a joke, signed pictures of Jesus Christ. Now, his success led to a stack of other border blasters also being set up. Within a year or two, there are a dozen or so of them, you know, other stations here blasting away, all just inside the Mexican border. And Brinkley also provoked another important piece of reform in broadcasting law, because uh, while he was running XER, he was actually still jointly based in Milford and Del Rio. These two towns are, you know, sort of simultaneously at this point. So when he went back to Kansas, he'd actually call back to XER on the phone uh, to do his broadcast live via the telephone, you know, all of his ads and whatever else. Now, this practice was very swiftly outlawed by Congress. They passed the appropriately named Brinkley Act. Which made it illegal to broadcast live radio, uh, live on a, on a foreign radio station from within the US via the telephone. Now, this you know may not seem like much, but it actually prompted a very important innovation on the part of Brinkley because Brinkley now started recording himself ahead of time and had these pre-recordings played while he was away. And I mean, yes, yeah, so, sure, to us today sounds very obvious. Of course, you would do that. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. But Brinkley's pre-recordings were amongst the first ever made for a purpose like this. So it was actually quite a big deal. It really did represent a paradigm shift in commercial radio, these pre-recorded ads that were you know, then ready for broadcast at any time. However, this wasn't to last. All of this wasn't to last. It all came crumbling down in 1934 when the mexican government finally caved to us demands and revoked uh, brinkley's broadcasting license now you know i don't know how much this mattered to him at this point because he was an absurdly wealthy man he continued to perform surgical operations on people even after he lost his uh, his radio station his reputation was still big enough that he was you know he kept himself in more more money than he ever ever knew what to do with um, he used this cash to build it, build himself a massive mansion. It's still there today in Texas. So it had exquisite gardens, a menagerie of rare animals. It had a collection of expensive cars, swimming pool with a diving tower, all that sort of stuff that you can, you can still go and visit. I think it's on the, uh, the Texas Register of Historical Landmarks even today there. He really had made it. You know, this charlatan, he'd done it. He'd amassed a fortune. He was living the life of luxury, but fans of Justice rejoice because he did not get his happily ever after. In 1938, our mate Morris Fishbein finally published a series of exposés on Brinkley, denouncing him as a con man and his career as a farce. Now, Brinkley very courageously stepped up and tried to sue him, seeking hundreds of thousands, millions in today's money, millions of dollars in damages. And he lost swiftly and painfully. The jury came out and after the trial commented that uh, Brinkley should be considered a charlatan and a quack in the ordinary, well-understood meaning of those words. So the shoe, by now, was very much on the other foot, as now scores and scores of previous patients descended on him like goat-potesticled vultures. They sued the ever-loving crap out of him. Not only that, the IRS also started to investigate him for tax fraud, so he was getting it coming and going. He's getting it from both ends here. Brinkley filed for bankruptcy in 1941, however... Even after this, even after having been taken for all he was worth by the IRS, by people coming and suing him, his ruination wasn't yet complete because his health was failing. He ended up having three heart attacks because of his bad circulation and around this time started to be investigated by the United States Postal Service for mail fraud as well. He then had one of his legs amputated, although I wasn't able to confirm whether it was replaced with a goat's leg. And finally... Before the mail fraud case came to a close, on the 26th of May, 1942, Brinkley died of heart failure without a penny to his name, and he was buried in Memphis under one of the most obnoxious gravestones I've ever seen in my entire life. And that is the end of the story of John R. Brinkley, the man who amassed and lost a fortune just because some blokes at a factory once told him they thought that goats were pretty tough. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of John R. Brinkley. A truly wild ride. And once again, thank you to Jacob Diggle for sending that one in. If you have suggestions that, I mean, look, you know, we're not we're not all Diggles. We can't always send in like stone cold club bangers like Jacob Diggle did. But if you've got a suggestion that uh, you think might be good for an episode here, please do send them in. The best way to do that: jump onto halfarsedhistory dot It's there that you'll find a little contact form. You can get in touch with me that way directly. And uh, I'll, I'll try to reply if I haven't got back to you after you've uh, you've emailed me. Please let me know, and I'll uh, I'll I'll try to get onto it. I do apologise to the uh, the emails that I miss. But uh, on the website as well, you'll find links to subscribe to uh, the podcast on uh, Spotify, on iTunes, on uh, on Android as well, and also a link to the Patreon. I've got uh, lots of people supporting me on Patreon. Thank you so much to all the patrons. There picked up a couple of new ones this week, and uh, geez, I can't say how much I appreciate it. It's just it, it's phenomenal to have so many people at my back chuck chucking me money like this and uh, thank you to you as well just for listening to the show whether you're an old listener a new listener or somewhere in between thanks so much and uh, and, and it's so great to hear from listeners here there and everywhere telling me stories about where they listen to the podcast you know and uh, and how they listen to it had, had someone say i think it was a postie recently got in touch with me or a, a, a delivery worker said that they were listening to the uh, the podcast while they're doing their rounds. so yeah really really nice to hear that people are enjoying uh, you know this this ridiculous two-bit stupid history podcast that i put out every week anyway that's enough of that. Going to close things out as usual with a, uh, a question post on Reddit. This time we've got a science question rather than a, uh, a, um, a history question. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about medicine, a lot about doctors today. So we've got a, a science-based question here asked by Reddit user Charizard Main. Obviously, we've had a lot of uh, doctor chat today. Obviously, John R. Brinkley, not a particularly good doctor, but he called himself one all the same. So a doctor question here from Charizard Main. Why are doctors so afraid of apples?